Welcome to Training for Raining. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I'm looking forward to going through chapters 21 and 22 today. We're almost through the entire book of Matthew. And I'm so excited. I want to thank each of you who have had the opportunity to tune in. And I'm believing God that we will get some dedicated and faithful students so that we can move forward and and really accomplish everything I believe God wants us to accomplish during this time together. So my name is Dr. Eric Lee Brown. I am the lead pastor at Greater Works Ministries in Detroit, Michigan. So if you're in our Detroit area, make sure you come and check us out on Wyoming at Six Mile. And I guarantee you will be blessed. You will experience his presence. And you might even get a word from the Lord as you enter into the house of the, of the Lord with the saints of God. So let's get started, but let's go ahead and pray before we get started. <clears throat> then we're going to dive right into the word of God. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to pursue your face and to call upon your name and break bread with you. Father, the word of God reveals to us that the apostles and disciples, they broke bread with one another daily. So as we come Monday through Friday to break bread with you, we thank you for enlightening our eyes, for opening our hearts to see what you want us to see, opening our ears to hear what you want us to see. I pray that every session, every episode, you allow us to go deeper and deeper and deeper in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we praise you. Good afternoon, Dr. Martin. I see you has joined us. Thank God for you. So let's get into this. And my goal, uh, as we're studying, my goal is to cover some things that you might not have seen as you study. And today, uh, what we're going to be going over in chapter 21, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the beginning of Jesus uh, last week and, uh, and a few things we're going to be looking at as far as for that topic. In topic 22, we're going to be looking at Jesus answering and asking difficult questions. I want you all to write this down, our meditation verse uh, for this time uh, together today is going to be found in Matthew, the 21st chapter. And it's actually going to be the 13th verse where it says, and it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So that's going to be our meditation verse. I just want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. He told me, make sure I uh, put out some meditation verses uh, for you guys to kind of grab a hold of. And then the other thing that I want you to know is that uh, we're going to be covering uh, Jesus last week, Jesus uh, driving out men from the temple. We're going to be uh, uh, covering, uh, which should be exciting for everyone, uh, secrets to answer prayer. And Jesus' authority is questioned in chapter 21. And then chapter 22, we're going to be looking at Jesus asking and answering difficult questions, questions of the resurrection, and, question, and questions of the great commandment. So let's dive into this, and let's get into the word of God, thanking the Lord, the Holy Spirit, for anointing our understanding. So let's go to chapter 21, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 to start out. So chapter 21, 1 through 11, it says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a coat with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord have need of them. And straightway he will send them 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass, and a coat, the fowl of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the coat, and put on them their clothes, and they set him therein. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. So we see here that Jesus no longer was going about his ministry being secret. Remember, I told you this is his last week before he is crucified and they're in Pas Passover. And the theologian Carson said Jesus knew that the religious leaders uh, were going to arrest him and condemn him and mock him and scourge him and deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. Yet he had the courage to not only enter Jerusalem, but to enter in as a public, in as public a way as possible. This contrasts to his previous patterns to suppressing publicity. So we see here now Jesus is at the point where he's ready to be offered up. He's already released everything that he felt that the father sent him to release. He's already said everything. Now is his time to present himself and to reveal who he is to the world. And he goes in and he's confident and he goes in and, and the Bible reveals to us in this portion that he rode on a coat. And this is very important because it fulfilled a prophecy. So Jesus rode on the coat um, and brought his mother. So this was very powerful as we look into this, him riding on a coat that was never broken in. A lot of times, it's very hard for you to ride on a coat uh, that has not been broken in. Uh, but the reality of it is Jesus in his wisdom, he took the mother alone so that the coat would be behave itself. So Mark tells us that the coat had never been ridden before in Mark 11, the second chapter, so that it would be only prudent to bring his mother as well to reassure it among the noisy crowd, according to the theologian France. And then it says, have need of them. So this is very powerful because we know that the Lord being who he is in his humanity, he really stressed the needs that he had in order to fulfill the word of God. So it says, have need of them, not, uh, not for any weariness. He who had traveled on foot from Galilee to Bethany. So he traveled on foot before, but he had need of them uh, because of prophecy. So he could have gone the other two miles, but that, he might enter into Jerusalem as was prophesied. And I want you to write this down of him in Zechariah, uh, the ninth chapter, the ninth verse. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the fowl of an ass. So here, what we need to really recognize is that Jesus was doing everything he did in order to fulfill prophecy. This is his last week, and he had to get an ass.
because of the reality, he needed it to ride him into the city. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So here Jesus deliberately worked to fulfill prophecy, especially the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. So which uh, many feel Jesus fulfilled to the exact day of his triumphal entry. So if you want to look up this, this is found in Daniel, the ninth chapter, the 24th through the 27th verse, where it talks about uh, Daniel prophesying that this would happen. So it is possible that Matthew presents these verses as having been spoken by Jesus. So in Matthew gospel is showing that Jesus was the one actually revealing these things in order for them to know I'm doing these things by the teeth. And you need to know in your own life that many things that have been promised to you, many things that have been prophesied over your life, Jesus plans to do them by teeth. All we have to do is, as I said Sunday, is relax and enjoy the ride, enter into his rest, enter into faith. There are so many things in this world that tries on a regular basis to get us into doubt, to get us into fear. Just think about it, the, the um, headlines for the news that you might have read yesterday or a friend might have told you something the other day. Just think about it, how that shifted your lifestyle or brought you into a place of maybe doubt or fear. But just think about the good news. What I love about the good news is because it's constantly trying to push us into faith. It's constantly trying to push us into a place where we rely more on the Lord. It's constantly trying to push us into a place where we depend more on the Lord. And I want to encourage you, when you find your life being uh, pushed by fear, being pushed by anxiety, being pushed by these different things, just think about why am I letting these things push me? What is the root cause of me allowing fear or anxiety to push me? Am I afraid to die? If I'm afraid to die or if I'm afraid to get sick or whatever the case may be, I have to recognize that I have a savior that is able to bring me out of anything that fear might try to hold me into. And that's why the Bible tells us God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants us to know that that spirit has not come from us and for us to be driven and motivated by love, which in exchange bring about faith. So we see as we're studying this, that this interest, this entry into Jerusalem has been termed the triumph of Christ. It was indeed the triumph of humility over pride and worldly grandeur of poverty over influence and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. So we see that our king is humble. We see that our king is gentle and that our king wanted to present himself to the world, not as somebody that's coming in there riding a horse where nobody can be acquainted with him. He wanted to come in on a coat so that people can recognize that I am touchable, that I, I have emotions, I have feelings as well, and I am humble so you can come before me. So riding on a coat again, yet something that uh, in uh, Matthew Henry, uh, uh, he's a theologian, and he said, yet something that he had herein an eye to the custom in Israel for the judges to ride upon uh, white asses, according to Judges, the fifth chapter, the 10th verse, and their sons on an ass coat. Judges, the 12th chapter, the 14th verse, it says, and Christ would thus enter, not as a conqueror, but as the judge of Israel, who for judgment came into the world. So many theologians have different thoughts about this, but the reality of it is, is that we have to see him as he is. He's a humble king. He's a gentle king. He's a kind king. And that's why we follow him. So let's go to the next scriptures. Let's go to verses 12. Uh, and let's look at um, um, verses 12 through uh, 16. Good to see you this morning, Val. 
So verses 12, let's look at what it says. It says in, in, in verse 12, it says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And look at what it says. It says, And overthrew the tables of the money changers. <laughs> I love this about Jesus. And seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. I know that was a precious moment. They were sore displeased and said unto him, Here, here is thou what these say. And Jesus said unto them, Yea. Have you never read out of the vows of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? So here we see that uh, Jesus, uh, what I love about our, our, our king is that he was he was very, very a strong man. You know, he wasn't a whip. So when he saw things that were out of order, he immediately attacked it. So we see that he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And, and this seems distinct. Uh, from the cleansing of the temple and the courts mentioned in John, the second chapter, which he did in the beginning of his ministry, which happened toward the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Yet the purpose was the same, to drive out the merchants who, in cooperation with the priests, cheated. Look at what they were doing. They were cheating visitors to Jerusalem by forcing them to purchase approved, look at this, approved sacrificial animals and currencies at the high, pri at the high prices. So Barclay, another theologian, he notes, he said a pair of doves could cost as little as four pennies outside of the temple and as much as 75 pennies uh, inside the temple. This is almost 20 times more expensive. So they weren't just selling things in the temple that made Jesus upset, but they were selling things at so much of a higher price, letting the world know that they were there not to uh, uh, for uh, the Passover, but they were there to earn money. And whenever you're trying to earn money at the expense of the things of God, Christ is not going to be happy with you. That's why even in the church today, we have to be very careful, you know, on how we're presenting the gospel. One of the uh, apostles that I really loved was the apostle Paul, because everywhere he went, he knew that um, the, the laborer is worthy of his hire, but everywhere he went, he made sure that he uh, uh, fit his own bill so that the people of God can see the sincerity of his heart. And today I believe God is raising up a lot of men and women of God that will serve him without receiving, not because you shouldn't receive, but for the people to know they're doing it from a sincere heart. And, and the only reason why adjustments like that need to be made in the kingdom here and there is because some people are hireling. Some people are coming into the body of Christ to do what these people um, did. They want to charge the people of God. And it's really not uh, God who's leading them to charge, but it's their own greed. So Jesus clarifies that he goes in there. He said, listen, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And the merchants operated in the outer court of the temple. And I want you to take these notes down. The only area where Gentiles could come and pray was the outer course. So these individuals are actually selling in the only area that the Gentiles can actually come and beseech the father. And so, you know, this really uh, 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 made Jesus upset uh, because 
these individuals, if they wanted to pray or wanted to set an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to touch them or, or change their life, they couldn't do it because there were people selling and buying and trading in these areas. Therefore, this place of prayer was made into a marketplace and a dishonest one. Jesus called it a den of thieves. Now, Mark's record contains the more uh, complete quotation of Jesus' reference uh, to Isaiah, the 56th chapter, the 7th verse. It is not written, my house should be called a house of prayer. Uh, is it not written, this is what it was saying in Isaiah, the 56th chapter, the 7th verse, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. So it always has been the Messiah Jesus' desire for all nations to be saved, for all nations to be healed, for all nations to be restored. It's good to see you joined us, Mother. And so what we have to know is that God was showing us here that we should never hinder even the illest of people or, or the weakest of men from entering into a place of prayer. We should always motivate and push and get out of the way of those who are trying to get to know the Father. So the point was that Isaiah prophesied that Jesus demanded that the temple be a place for all nations to pray. The activity of all those who bought and sold in the in the outer court made it impossible for any seeking Gentile to come and pray. So in that uproar of buying and selling and bargaining and auctioneering, prayer was impossible in this specific context. And then it says those who sought God's presence were being debarred from it from the very people of God's house, according to Barclay. So we see this. And one of the other things that I want you to know that it wasn't just a place for the Gentiles to go, but it was uh, it was also a place where the blind and the lame came. And we see what Jesus did. And this is what I love about Jesus is that right after he drove the men out of uh the outer court from selling and exchanging and all of that right after he did that he showed them what should be done there and that's what i love about jesus because he's not the type of leader that just tells you what to do he's the type of leader that shows you what to do and that's why he's so precious to us and we love him so because he's he made it plain for us to see how to love he made it plain for us to see how to forgive he made it plain for us to see how to teach because he did it so greatly, it's easy for us to follow in his footsteps. So the blind and the lame, they were restricted to the courts of the Gentile. They could not go closer to the temple and could not go to the altar to sacrifice. After purging the court of the Gentiles, of the merchants and robbers, look at what Jesus did. Jesus then ministered to the outcasts who congregated there. So they were there, but Jesus didn't have an opportunity to minister until he drove out the den of thieves, and then he was able to minister to them and show them this is what it's all about. So let's go to the next scripture. I believe we're in um, chapter 17, I mean, verses 17 through 22, and let's read it together. So verses 17, it says, And Jesus, going to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him. Wait, it says, and he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, look at what he did. He came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, 
Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto him, them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So this is very powerful. Jesus is really revealing here that, you know, you have the power through faith to speak things into existence. So he's showing them that you have to know that I'm not just coming to show you uh, 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 what is possible with me or what I could do, but I'm coming to show you what is possible in your own life. So we see that Jesus, uh, uh, he revealed to them that, listen, you can do the same things I'm doing if you learn how to put your faith in me and doubt not. So it looks here, it says at the past hour time, quarters could not easily be uh, got in the city, but the house of Martha and Mary would be open to Jesus. So we see that Jesus left out of the city and many theologians believe that he stayed at the house of Martha and Mary. And one of the things that it says he was hungry. So many theologians believe that he left the house too early to be able to eat breakfast with them. Uh, so he was hungry. And when he saw the fig tree, he was like, great, I got some food. You know, but the reality of it was that the that the fig tree didn't bear the fruit that it should have bear in its season. And that's why it's so important. You know, we encourage as pastors and leaders, uh, individuals to pray. We encourage them to meditate. We encourage them to study the word of God. We encourage them to come to the house of God. We encourage them to fellowship and walk in love. And a lot of people think that we encourage uh, them to do that just for them to do a religious activity. And, and some of them are not that blunt, but, but just to be doing something. But it's not for you just to be doing something. It's for you to bear fruit in your season. As Jesus is looking at your life, as the Father is looking into your life, he's looking for you to grow in love every season. He's looking for you to grow in faith every season. He's looking for you to grow in wisdom and knowledge every season. And if we're not growing, you have to understand that we're depleting. And he's looking for fruit. He's looking for us to be an extension of him in the earth realm. And if we're not growing, then in the seasons where he want to send certain people into our life for us to pour into them or for us to uh, allow them to glean from, from us, then that's not going to take place. So he's going to have to find somebody else. And that's why he's so upset with this fig tree because it should have had fruit in it. And, and what God is saying to us today is that don't allow there to be a season in your life where there should be fruits of forgiveness, where there should be fruits of peace and patience. There should be fruits of faith. And you allowing your tree to be filled with anxiety still or fear or or worry. You have to come to a place where you're willing to grow. And the only way you're going to grow is when you start acting on his word. When you start acting on what he's speaking to you. When you start acting on his love for you. And when you react or act on these things, then you're going to find yourself bearing fruit. And it's going to be a blessing not just for you, but it's going to be a blessing to the individuals that God sent to you in each season that he desires to send them to you. So we see here, it is worth noting that the two destructive miracles of Jesus, this and the events that ended in the destruction of the herd of, of, of pigs uh, in Matthew, the eighth chapter, the 30th 
and the 32nd verse were not directed towards people. So Jesus cursed the fig tree and then he cast out the devil from the man to free the man in spite of the demons going into the pigs and killing themselves. So he valued man in both of his uh, destructive miracles over the tree and over the pigs. And that's what we have to see. Jesus is never coming to curse man, never coming to curse woman. But he said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When men and women walk in curses, it's not because Jesus cursed them. It's because they decided or selected to go that way instead of going the way of the Lord. So he found nothing on it believes. And he, this is something that we need to really take notes of. This explains why Jesus did this destructive miracle against it. Essentially, the tree was a picture of a false advertising, having leaves but no figs. This should not be the case with these particular fig trees, which customarily did not bear leaves apart from figs. So this, <laughs> this tree was false advertising, and, and, and I believe that everything Jesus did, he did it symbolically so we can see in our lives, do not try to be somebody that you're not. If you at a certain place in your faith right now, that's fine. That's where you are, but be intentional about growing. Don't try to pray away that people will look at your prayer life and say, oh, you must be here when you really are here. Stay where you are because at the end of the day, it's Jesus that's going to give the increase. And it's Jesus that sees all. And it's Jesus who we should seek to please in everything that we do. So we see here that the first Adam came to the fig tree for leaves, but the second Adam looks for figs, according to Spurgeon. So how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So we know uh, in the other gospel, it, it reveals the next morning that the fig tree had withered away. So Jesus explained that this miracle was really the result of prayer made by faith. And I told you today, if you have faith and do not doubt, he encouraged them, his disciples, to also have this kind of faith, trusting that God will hear them as well. So I told you that this is one of the secrets to prayer because when we pray, we want to pray by faith. We want to pray depending on relying upon. And when we go into prayer, we want to pray in such a way that we're believing as we release words to our Father that he hears us. And we know that when we hear us, according to scripture, that we have the answer to the prayer. So Jesus was revealing to them, there is nothing too big. There is nothing too grand for you to pray and receive the results. So he wanted his disciples to know that prayer is the solution. Prayer is the key that will cause things to happen supernaturally in your life, suddenly in your life. So we must be a, a people of prayer. And remember, when we go back to the first part of this, we have to understand that Jesus revealed to us that my house shall be a house of prayer. Where is his house now? Our temple is his house. So in everything we do, what should we do first? We should pray about it first. Everything that we do, even when you're good at it, and this is where we have to be careful, especially in those areas that we're good or we're excellent in or God has raised us up and we're doing great in. Those are the areas that we should pray the most about, praying and asking God, Lord, don't allow any pride or any arrogance to get into my gift or to get into my oil or to get into my job. I know that they're promoting me left and right, but don't allow anything to get into my heart because I want to continue to be promoted because I know that your plan for my life is for me to walk in greatness. And I don't believe that I've excelled to that extent yet. So in verse 20, 23, let's read verses 23 through 27. Look at what it says. It says, and when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people 
came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus He's revealing here that, you know, you guys are coming to me. And, and, and let's just look at this scenario. How dare them come to Jesus and say, by what authority are you doing these things? As if they are capable of doing these things as well. You know, it would seem as if the same things that he was doing, that they would be doing. But the reality of it was that he was the only one doing what he was doing. And they came to him as authority figures and saying, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? And the reality of it is they didn't have authority to ask him or question him about the authority that he was walking in, walking in. But what was amazing is that Jesus, in his wisdom and in his insight, he asked them a question that if they were able to answer that question, then they would see by the authority that he was able to do these things. But they were unwilling to answer his question. So, uh, you know, it's amazing when we really look at the word of God, how people would come up to Jesus and try to trap him in his words and try to uh, get him off of his rocker. And the reality of it, Jesus was so focused. He knew what he was called to do. He knew uh, uh, his lane and he stayed in his lane and he told those individuals what they needed to hear in order for them to know who he was and who he belonged to. And you got to think every time he talked to somebody else, even those who tried to catch him up, he was also ministering to his disciples. So he was showing his disciples uh, how to handle people that would come up against their calling, their authority, their power in Christ. So they could not say of men, these uh, Pharisees, for they were cowards, uh, Morgan says. Uh, they would not say of heaven, for they were hypocrites. So let's go to uh, verse 28. Let's look at 28 through 32 as we continue to go on. Verses 28 through 32. Look at what it says. It says, but what think ye a certain man had two sons? And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and he went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans <laughs> and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. And ye believe him not, but the publicans and the harlots believe him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards that ye might believe him. So uh, Jesus is really, really, he's really getting after the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he's letting them know this is going to happen. You guys are rejecting the kingdom, but the publicans and the harlots are accepting the kingdom. 
So now they will go in before you, although you got the word first. And this is so important for us to understand is that God wants all men and all women to be saved. So we have to look at all of our relationship. And I'm talking to you all because you are the individuals that have come into the knowledge of truth. And when you come into the knowledge of truth, let me tell you something. Every individual that has offended you, every individual that has done you wrong, every individual that has done anything bad against you, once you come into the knowledge of the truth, you have to understand that all of those individuals were influenced by the enemy. So Jesus never wants us to look at individuals and never forgive them or, or look at what they did and say, oh, you were just out to get me, etc. When you come into the knowledge of the truth, you must change your lenses. You must change your glasses. You must change your view and your perspective on men and women. And anytime any one of them do anything negative towards you, offends you, uh, speak ill will against you, you have to grab a hold of what they have done and look at it through God's perspective. And his perspective is we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. So if you are offended with somebody and they came to offense, it was a spirit of offense that was either working in them or on them to bring you into offense so that both of you can be in bondage. So the enemy, his target is always to use people because he understands that God made people in his image and in his likeness. And if we don't let go of people or walk in the knowledge of truth pertaining to people, then we won't walk in the freedom that God has called us to walk in. So from this day forth, from this year forth, learn how to let people go, not because of what they did was right, but because you know that they were influenced by the enemy and all you're concerned with is you moving forward. A lot of people don't know when we walk in bitterness, you know, we're holding ourselves back. When we walk in unforgiveness, we're holding ourselves back. When we walk in ill will towards other or hatred towards others, even if you think you have a right to hate them, you have to understand that all you're doing is holding yourself back from your best life. Today, can I encourage you, let people go. Walk in the truth of the word. Walk in the light of the word. This was the Pharisee's stumbling block. They hated to see Jesus in his early ministry. His ministry was taking off. Now they were second considered, you know, second behind Jesus. And the reality of it is, is they wanted to be seen first. They wanted to be called fathers and rabbi, and they wanted this, that, and the other. But when Jesus came on the scene, they allowed his ministry to offend them because they refused to be second. And the reality of it is, Man, I'm telling you, God has so much for you. God wants to take you so far. But if you allow the enemy and what he has used people to do in your life to stop you from forgiving and letting people go, then you would never be able to get to the places that God has predestined for you to be. And I don't know about you, but I fought too hard. I've been through too much. I've, I've experienced too much for me to allow people to keep me or the influence of the enemy on people to keep me from where God has taken me. So can I encourage you today? Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the Sadducees who don't want to see people progress, who don't want to let people go, who don't want to see the ministry of Jesus thrive. Be like Jesus. Let him go so that you can go to the place of your resurrected life, of your more abundant life in Jesus' name. So the father spoke to the son individually, and this is very important as well in this parable. Uh, he did not speak to the sons together. Though the same invitation was given to both sons, 
He came to them individually. We need to understand that our callings in Christ are individually. You might have a man or woman of God that God has placed in your life that uh, will confirm those callings, but it's Christ that is going to call. And and, and um, uh, one of the things that David uh, um, Guzik, he said that uh, these Pharisees, they, they, they were like churchgoers that imitate the second son. He said they admit that the word of, of God is true. They intend to get serious about it someday. They talk about doing the father's work. They keep up the external appearance of religion, but their heart is not right with God. He said they think that words and promises are enough. It's not enough. And that's what I love about Jesus' ministry is that he encouraged the people. Don't just hear what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you so that you can walk in what I'm revealing to you. And one of the things about Jesus, you know, we know, I believe it's in Matthew, the fourth chapter, where it says man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the father. So for us to really walk in everything that God has called us to, for us to obtain every promise that he has given us, we have to understand that we have to walk in what Jesus is saying. It's not enough for us to just to hear it, to have a, a, a good heart to do it. I mean, to say that we're going to do it one day. But, it, you know, the Bible reveals to us now faith. Today is the day that we should say, okay, Lord, I heard what you said. You know, I just talked about letting people go. I'm going to let this one go. I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to forgive. And how many of y'all know if you feel that you can't do it yourself because they did you so wrong, you could always pray a prayer like this, Father, with your help. I'm letting sister so-and-so go. With your help, I'm letting this brother go. With your help, I'm letting this sister go. And I'm making the decision to ask you to save them, to deliver them, to set them free, get them under the influence of the enemy, and allow them to be under your influence. So we see here in this parable that Jesus was revealing to them really uh, a picture of their self, themselves. And he wanted them to see that, you know, you guys, at first, you, you came and you said that you would go, but you didn't go. You said that you would do the father work, but you're not doing the father work. You're doing your own work. So he's saying, but there are others, like the publicans and the sinners, the drug dealers, the, uh, the backbiters, those individuals who are living different lifestyles. Those individuals at first said, we're not going to do it. And then when they saw the truth of the kingdom, they saw the revelation of the kingdom, they said, we will follow. And they actually did the work. So I believe in God in this season that he would connect you and I only with individuals that are ready to rock and roll. I talked about it Sunday. I said, you can't go to war with everybody. You can't fight with everybody. But I believe in this season, God is sending some people that you are going to be able to fight with. Divine connections are coming into your life. And I'm excited about it because when I'm speaking it over your life, it's coming right back into my life. And I'm receiving it as well in Jesus' mighty name. So let's continue to go on. We're going to go on to uh, 21, the 21st chapter verses. <clears throat> uh, through uh, 46. Let's look at that. Well, 39 first, and then we'll keep going. So it says here another parable. There was a certain householder, householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it roundabout and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let out and let it out to an husbandman and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servant to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, his only begotten, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. 
let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and caught him out of the vineyard and slew him. My God. So Jesus is really showing them, listen, this is what's going to happen right now. Let's read verses 40 through 46. And it says, when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. So they're talking about what he's going to do to them. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. Jesus said unto them, did ye never read in the scripture? The stone which the builder rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and giving to a nation, bringing forth the fruit thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spoke of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Look at this. This is absolutely amazing. We see this story about how Jesus is revealing to them exactly what is taking place now for them to recognize the father has sent me his son and now you all are going to kill me and because you're going to kill me the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you but look at the patience of God in this parable that Jesus released it's absolutely amazing how uh, uh, Jesus was revealing to them that I didn't just send you one person or one servant or this, but time after time I sent you individuals for you to be able to hear what I'm saying. What Jesus was really revealing to them and he's revealing to us is that he's really going to leave us without an excuse. Jesus is going to send enough people in our lives to be able to minister the gospel, enough people are in our family, enough individuals, even if there's just one. He's going to allow that individual, that sister or that brother to minister so effective that when the time comes, you will be without an excuse. And what we have to recognize is that we can afford to wait to the end of our lives to say yes to Jesus. We can't afford to wait to uh, 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 everything we thought that we should do what we wanted to do. We go out and do it. And then now we're saying, okay, Jesus, now I'm ready to serve you. No, we need to say yes now. Because as we say yes now, we don't know it. But the reality of it is his plans for our life are better than our plans for our life. Just think about the, the thing that you want to do more than anything else. Whatever that is, I found even in my life, and I believe you will find in your life, that it pales in comparison to the dream, to the vision, the plan that God has for you. First and foremost, you need to understand that the plan that God has for you, he planned things for you before the foundations of the world. So whatever you are planned, you only planned in your last 40 years or your last 50 years or 30 or 20 years. Those are the plans you think, oh, man, this is going to be great if I carry it out. And God is like, wait a minute. I started before the foundations of the world and I had wrote out things that I had for you. I had pinned down things that I wanted you to accomplish. So my thoughts 
are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways and in his plans for your life it won't be temporary satisfaction and that's what I love about him it will be eternal satisfaction so I believe that the plan that God has for your life is way greater than the plan that you have for your life but you must be willing to submit to his plan in order to experience it so these men who are supposed to manage his vineyard in this parable mistreated and killed the messengers uh, sent by the landowner. Finally, he sent his son and they killed him also, foolishly believing they would take control of the vineyard. Yet the response of the landowner was not to yield to the vendressers, but to judge and destroy them as they mentioned. So they knew the owner of the vineyard had the right to expect the fruit in their season. And I really want you as we're reading and we're studying together to really see how important it is for us to grow. How important it is for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to go, if you haven't read Galatians, the 5th chapter, the 22nd and the 23rd verse, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentleness. And it says, against such, there is, no, there is no law. Jesus wants us to grow, I believe, more than anything else. Because when you look at the original intent of the Father, when we go back to Genesis 1.26, we see when God first spoke to himself about creating man, he said, let us make man the first thing he says about him in our image. What does God's image look like? His image looks like an individual, a person that has fruit that is that has grown in his life. So his, his, his image looks like uh, full of love. His image looks like full of kindness. His, his image looks like he's full of grace and mercy and, and patience. So this is his image. And through his word, he's going to birth us as we walk in his word in his image. He's going to birth us the second day that he said, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. He's going to birth us in his likeness, but we have to cooperate with his word. The more we cooperate with his word, the more he's able to birth us into what he has predestined for us. And look what he says last, which I love in Genesis, the first chapter, the 26th verse. It says, and let him have dominion. If you never knew your purpose, I want you to know this today. The core of your purpose is for you to be in God's image, for you to be in God's likeness, and for you to dominate in the earth realm, for you to literally thrive in everything that you do. That's your purpose. And if you're not doing that, it's only because you have not grabbed the hold of his word. It's only because you're not walking in everything he has called you to walk in. And how do we get to that place? Through intimacy, through spending more time with him, through uh, allowing our praise and our worship to be calmly and allowing us to study on a regular basis, allowing us to pray on a regular basis, because the more we seek him and pursue him, the more we become like him. And when you become like him, you can't help but rule. You can't help but reign. The Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. The reality of it is the suffering of the saints or as we're suffering is really saying we're um, letting go of our wills, our desires. We're suffering a lot of things that we grab the hold of and we serve before. And so the more we do that, the more we're going to be able to reign with him. So clearly in these scriptures, Jesus claimed to be reject the rejected stone um, found in Psalms, the 118th division, the 22nd and the 24th um, verse that God appointed to become the chief cornerstone. He was saying, this is who y'all rejected. Y'all rejected me. 
He is also the stone of Isaiah, the 8th chapter, the 13th through the 15th verse, that people stumbled over. The foundation stone and precious cornerstone of Isaiah 28 and 16, and the stone of Daniel, the 2nd chapter, the 34th verse, that destroys the world in rebellion. So we need to see that Jesus was really uh, uh, hoping that these individuals would grab a hold of what he was trying to tell them, that you guys are not bearing fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, there is no part that I would allow you to have in my kingdom. Because what happens when people encounter people in the body of Christ that are still carnal, that are still uh, impatient, that are still anxious and stressed? They're going to look at their life and say, wait a minute. Like, who are you serving? Who are you saying is your Lord? It's going to be uh, uh, not good for God to see individuals encounter you after following Christ, and they don't see none of his resemblance in you. So what God is saying, he's not saying this to condemn any of us, but what he's saying is it's time to grow. It's time for us to bear fruit so that when he sees us, he can send people to us for us to pour into them, and we can carry out the plan that he has for our life. Now let's go over to chapter 22, and let's start reading through chapter 22 with this last 10 minutes. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll go back and explain some of the things that we see in it. So let's look at chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. It says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parable, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servant to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatling are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant, the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. The wedding was ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Let's keep going, and let's read the rest of these verses here. Look at what it says. Verses 22, uh, the ninth verse, it says, Go ye therefore into the highway, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highway and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, look at what happened. He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment, so he wasn't even dressed. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him in hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, look at this, but few are chosen. So we see here that Jesus is revealing to them how important it is for us to be ready when it's time for us to enter into the wedding feast. And this is a symbol of us entering into eternal life. We must be ready 
And the only way we're going to get ready is if we discipline ourselves and take out time to study the word, is if we discipline ourselves and take out time to pray, is if we discipline ourselves to take out time to seek the Lord and act on what he is telling us. One of the things that I really love about our father is that he never pushes us or, or, or try to make us do things that we're not ready to do. I, that, that's one of the things I love more than anything as I've been walking with him. He's not like man that tries to push us into things that we're not ready uh, uh, to walk into, but, but he's patient with us. He's kind. He's gentle with us. And he knows right now that even during this time of pandemic, he knows right now that you, your faith might not be where it should be, but he wants you to know that as you keep listening to me, daughter, as you keep hearing my voice, son, don't turn away what you're hearing because the next time a pandemic hit or the next time something drastic happened in your community or in your nation, you're going to be able to take it a lot better than you took this one. And that's what God is looking for. He's not looking to push us into anything. He's looking for us to grow from where we are so that the next test that comes, the next trial that comes, the next sickness that tries to enter your body, you would deal with it with more faith than you have before. Now, mind you, we don't need a whole lot of faith. Really what we need to do is expel the doubt, is expel the fear, is expel the anxiety. And the more we expel those things, when we turn on our life, the more we can walk in the faith that he has given us. But I want to encourage you today that God is patient with you. Don't look down on yourself. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 8, 1, it says, there is now no condemnation to them that be in Christ, to them that walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. All you have to do on a regular basis is strive to walk after the spirit. And you don't have to worry about the enemy coming to condemn you, telling you you're a person of fear or you're a person of lust or perversion. You can walk in freedom today as you grab a hold of what God has said about you. And God does only have good things to say about you. That's, that's, that's what's amazing about God. You know, he doesn't have nothing but good things to say about any of us. So we need to rejoice in that reality. So let's go forth. Let's read 15 through 22 together. Look at what it says. It says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, but thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and prescription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So here we see that these wicked rulers, they're trying to catch Jesus up any way, anyhow, but they don't recognize how can you catch how can you catch up Jesus when he is all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-powerful? So they're trying to trick him into something. And through their trickery, they find out who they're really dealing with. They're dealing with not just a man that's wise, but wisdom is his. It belongs to him. You know, the Bible says the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. Or the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So 
this was very amazing how Jesus had their jaws dropping when they came to put him in the corner. They ended up being in the corner. And what we must understand that as we follow Jesus, we're going to be able to put men and women in corners that try to come in opposition against the work of God in our life because we're not walking in man's wisdom. We're walking in godly wisdom. Look at what David said in the Psalms. He said, I've been young and now that I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. David said, as long as people follow the ways of God, as long as people follow his instruction, I've never seen those individuals forsaken. What was David saying? David was telling us and encouraging us through his lifestyle that God is an on-time God. I don't know who you are. I don't know who needs to hear this, but whatever you're dealing with today, you need to know that the God we serve he may not come when you want him but he'll be there right on time i remember years ago when i didn't have a place to stay and i looked up and i prayed this is not a fairy tale this is a true story i looked up and i prayed i didn't have anywhere to stay i said lord where am i going to stay at now i don't have anywhere to stay i got to get out of this house that i've been living in with my cousin where am i going to move to I'm telling you the truth. The next day I got a phone call. Somebody called me and said, uh, Eric, do you still need a place to stay? There is somebody that wants you to house it in their house and only pay utilities and only pay the water bill. You can't tell me what my God is able to do. Do you know while I was getting my undergrad in accounting, I stayed in that house that I was supposed to be house sitting in for as long as three years. God covered me because I decided to do things his way. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you need to recognize that God is able to make ways out of no way for you and your family. All you have to do is be determined to do things his way. All you have to do is align with him. We, during a se- we, we just finished a series at Greater Works, and it was entitled Get in the Backseat. And all that series was about is what I believe God is saying to us from heaven today is we have to let go of control of our life, let go of control of our marriages, let go of control of our families and give God total control. And he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us. According to Proverbs, it says that if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he's going to direct our path. So let's go to the next few scriptures. uh, As we look into this uh, 23rd, through the 33rd, and then we have a few more scriptures and we're, and we're going to close out. So it says, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which said, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, And having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third until the seventh. And the last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as the angels of God in heaven, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. So here Jesus is revealing to them that when you are resurrected, when you come into eternal life, you're neither are married or are giving in marriage. So these individuals, they theology told them that they, uh, uh, um, the resurrection wasn't true because they felt that if this person is married and what I love about what we're seeing in the word of God, how this can apply to our life is that we see that there is no dumb questions that we could ask the savior. This question to many people, the Pharisees and different other people were probably like, come on, are you guys serious? And the reality of it is, is that whatever you desire to know or do not have clarity about in your faith, God wants to give you clarity because without clarity and understanding, we can't really walk in faith. The only way we can walk in faith is through knowing. And when we know, we're able to act on what we know. If we're not sure, then we can't act on it. So whatever questions you have, I'm telling you, we have the type of Savior, we have the type of God that is willing to hear you out and help you gain clarity and understanding because he desires more than anything for you to walk in understanding and for you to walk in truth and so he's willing to give you clarity let's go uh to matthew the 34th chapter the 40th verse look at what it says it says but when the pharisees had heard that he had put the sadducees to silence they were gathered together so they going back and forth trying to catch jesus up and look at what it says it says then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question tempting him and saying master which is the great commandment in the law Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is revealing to them now, he's revealing to them the greatest commandment of all, that we should love God with all of our heart, our minds, our souls, our strength. And as he's revealing this to them, I know he's taking great pleasure in it because he came that he might raise up a people or disciple a people that would be on fire for the Lord. Let's look at what happened in these last few scriptures as we close out. In verse 41, it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now Jesus is doing the asking of the questions. They say unto him, the son of David. He said unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So as, we're, as we conclude, we see here that Jesus allowed the Pharisees and the Sadducees to, to ask him questions. And then when he asked, answered their questions, they marveled. And then he got to a place where he said, now let me ask you a question. And then when he asked them a question, they could answer it. And the word of God says from that day forth, they didn't ask him any more questions. I'm here to tell you that the God that you're walking with is all wisdom. He's waiting on you to inquire of him, to ask him questions, even things that might seem as if you shouldn't ask him. And that's just what, this is how we apply this to our life, that there is nothing that God is not willing to hear from us. And there is nothing that he is not willing 
to answer us if we come before him with sincere hearts. What's amazing about these individuals is that they didn't really uh, come before him even with sincere hearts. They didn't even come uh, before him with faith. They came to catch him up, but he loved man enough to still answer because he knew that somebody would be able to gain and grow and become fruitful based on even individuals that come to the Lord and come to him in the wrong way. So I hope you have enjoyed your time here with us today. I love you all. Always remember, you can walk in greatness. Tomorrow we'll be right here training for reigning at 12 noon, and we'll be starting chapters 23 and 24. If I can, I'm going to squeeze in 25 so that we can conclude the book of Matthew. I'm excited about what God is saying, and I want you to tell us.